been, we have been going through the book of Romans uh, for the better part of this year, and if you've been following along in the study, you know that once we got to this amazing chapter, Romans 8, we have slowed down a little bit because there's just so many glorious truths in, in the Word of God everywhere, but you get to these certain places, and it's just, it seems like every verse, every word, just so full, so rich that we take it in, and it's just like we have to savor it a little bit, and even now as we've gotten to this section in Romans 8, slowing down and even taking a couple of weeks to work our way through it. But in Romans 8, just to kind of bring us back up to speed, it starts out, the very first verse tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, the book ends, we've talked about it, starts out with no condemnation, ends with no separation, and it's just this beautiful chapter, and as it moves through, speaking of, as we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about the fact that we are children of God, and the Holy Spirit within us testifies to that fact. As born-again believers, we are children of God. And even though we still battle in the world that we are in, waiting for that day when we will be glorified with the Lord Jesus, and we struggle with our own weaknesses, our own flesh, and the, the things in the world around us, we looked at verses 26 and 27 where it tells us that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us in our weaknesses, even when we don't know how to pray as we should. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with the Father, and he intercedes perfectly because he knows the perfect will of the Father, and therefore intercedes perfectly for us. And last week, we stepped into this amazing verse in Romans 8, 28, and we know God works all things together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And I'd like to pick up with that this morning and continue on from there. So if you will follow along with me, beginning in verse 29, we had verse 28 last week, just did it, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He, did not, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? We enter, again, a section in this word. As we said, this is a glorious section. But I got to say, there's some things that we're going to look at this morning that, that a, lot of, a lot of pastors, a lot of Christians would just assume, you know what, let's not talk about that. Let's just glance over it really fast. Let's just move through it. We're going to talk about foreknowledge, predestination, election, being chosen, and I would like to challenge everyone in this room who might have some doctrinal bias about the, the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man and all of that argument. Would you please put that bias down for the next 45 minutes? And you can pick it up if you want to when you're all done when you leave. But I'd like to have us as, as a group, as a fellowship this morning, let's look at what the word of God says and embrace the beauty of it. We see Paul speaking here that, yes, we know God causes all things to work together for the good, to those who love God, where we left off last week, to those who are called 
according to his purpose. That word called there, called according to his purpose. And notice the very next verse, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Again, some big words, some deep theological truths there. Paul's not alone in this, and this isn't the only time he talks about this in his, in his letters, in his epistles. Peter picks this up in 1 Peter chapter 1. In his introduction to 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, notice this, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Both Paul and Peter deal with this this mystery, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. So when when did this choosing take place? When did this all come about? Well, Paul addresses that in Ephesians chapter one. Beginning in verse three, Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Paul tells us in Ephesians that this choosing of us, this personal, intimate selection of us took place prior to the foundation of the world. Prior to God speaking the world into existence. And we're going to see in a moment that foreknowledge and predestination are inseparably linked. But going back to our text, it speaks of foreknowledge first in verse 29. So we'll, we'll look at that first in our, in our study this morning. Foreknowledge, literally in its, in its most simplest sense, means to know beforehand. But that has led many people to a a false assumption that what this means then is that God, before time, looked ahead through time and saw all of those who would choose Jesus as their Savior and then chose them ahead of time, kind of like hedging his bets. Like if we knew, we all knew who was going to win the Super Bowl ahead of time for the next 10 years, and we could look forward to that, and then we would choose that winner on down the line. There's huge problems with that. First and foremost, guys, that makes us sovereign over our salvation. That puts us in control. Basically, what that is saying is God looked ahead and saw that I was going to be good enough and smart enough and holy enough to make that decision, so he chose me. Like, that was a really good decision, God. You really knew what you were doing. And you know why I think that is such a widely held belief? Because in our flesh, we want to boast in that. We want to say, man, God, you are as smart as they say you are, because you picked me. Problem is, the word of God tells us that that is absolutely not true. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, speaking of us being saved, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, but notice he says, and that not of yourselves. 
It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, that's what we want to do. We want to say, you know, okay, the faith that I exercised, that was mine, and God saw that I was going to do that, so he chose me. Problem is, faith is a gift. That also given to us. It's not of ourselves. And in that, we want to boast. We want to take some of the glory away from God. The other huge, again, problem, according to the word of God, is if God looked ahead through time, saw that I was going to choose him on my own, that would go against it, the fact that the Bible tells us that sinful man will not seek after God on his own. We saw that back in Romans chapter 3, where it says, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. It's it's interesting to me how Paul feels like he needs to explain this five times in one verse. Just in case any of us are thinking, well, but okay, I understand none of them. But maybe me? No, none. (laughs) Well, maybe none of those, but is it? No, not even one. When we look at, at this word speaking in, you know, again, taking it off of the, the more general sense and getting to the real specific, the biblical usage of this word, that word no, the second part of, you know, prior to the no speaks of a special intimacy, a love relationship. It goes beyond just knowing about somebody. It goes beyond even just, just knowing somebody on a friendly, casual basis. It is the, it's the word oftentimes used to know as a husband and wife know one another intimately and personally. And so foreknowledge, when we speak of God's foreknowledge, it speaks of the fact that God has set his personal intimate love on us and he decided to do that before the foundation of the world. Every time. Every time, and I've been blessed this week several times because we've been studying this. Every time I give myself a time out to just settle in and think about that for a moment, it absolutely blows me away. Creator God chose, chose to pour out his infinite love on me from before the foundation of the world. Not because he looked ahead and saw how lovable I was. In spite of the fact that he looked ahead and saw how unlovable I am. He chose to pour out his infinite love on me. On you. Personalize that. That's the amazing thing about infinite love is if God pours it all out on me, how much is left for you? An infinite amount. Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah, the Lord speaking to Jeremiah said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
David, blown away by this many times in the Psalms, speaks of that fact that, you know, before I was knit together in the womb, God, you knew me. You knew all my thoughts. You knew all the things that I was going to do. You, you knew all of these things that were recorded in your book before there was even one. Where can I go to get away from you? He just goes away, and then he comes to this conclusion in Psalm 139. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Guys, if we get to that point and we say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't embrace this until I understand it, you'll drive yourself nuts. Just embrace the beauty of the truth of it all. It is beyond you. It is beyond your comprehension to be able to understand that God, before he created time, decided in his foreknowledge to, sh- to pour out his love, infinite love on you. And this foreknowledge and, and predestination are, again, inseparably linked because of this love, because of this knowledge, because of this determination that he had he, he pre-thought and predetermined each one of our salvation, each one of our coming to know him. This word predestination, chosen, election, it means to mark out beforehand, to set limits and boundaries in advance. Romans 8.29, as we look at this at the beginning, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. It clearly says that God Almighty predetermined the destiny for every believer. And look at what the destiny is, to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. Perfect, inwardly and outwardly. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, note, will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Will transform, not might, will transform, not according to us, but according to his power. Not in just an upgraded version of me, but into his glorious likeness and image. Perfect inside and out. Again, this amazing, this amazing issue of foreknowledge and predestination. However, here comes the issue. Here comes the problem. We jump to conclusions. This is where the huge separation comes, is that if we embrace this truth, that must mean that God foreknew and predestined others to go to hell. The Bible nowhere says that. Nowhere. And we somehow, again, in our puny little minds, think, well, if this is true, then this must be true as well. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nowhere. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but that is an important point because I know there are many that believe that. Well, I'm predestined. I'm predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those others predestined for hell. Nowhere in the Bible. But notice the, the progression now as it tells us that, 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 that he not only foreknew us and predestined us, notice those whom he, whom he predestined, he also called. 
The word called there is used in, in many different ways for different things in the word of God. And there is a calling for, for believers, for service, and, and different things like that. But that's not what this is speaking of. This is, called, this is with regards to salvation. Foreknowledge and predestination, again, from eternity past. Chosen brings God's eternal purpose into time, into our present. There is the outward call spoken of where the gospel goes out verbally throughout through all the through all the world the gospel the good news of salvation through faith alone in Christ alone that going out throughout the world the outward call and that goes to all but unfortunately not all respond to that the call that is being spoken of here though is something that automatically follows with those who are predestined through foreknowledge of the Father. He also called. Notice this unbroken chain that is here. And this is regarding the inward call, the conversion, the regeneration, if you would, of those that the Lord foreknew and predestined. Again, going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, chosen by the Father according to his foreknowledge by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the work that is done within us by the Holy Spirit, regeneration, taking, taking someone as we all were, dead in our trespasses and sins and giving us that new life in Christ Jesus, being, again, born again. The impartation of the new and divine life. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. A creative work on God's part, not a reforming process on our own. Called by God. A supernatural act that takes place in those who are foreknown, predestined, called. However, don't jump to another conclusion. People say, well, okay, well, now we're speaking of the sovereignty of God. We're saved by the sovereignty of God. That must mean that our free will is done away with. If God is sovereign and in control of all things, we, th this whole idea of having a free will can't possibly exist. Again, wrong conclusion to jump to. The Bible is very clear that God gave each and every one of us a free will. We have to make a choice, every one. Those two things, we say, okay, well, how, how can those things fit together? John tells us in John chapter 1, but, as, but to as many as received him, everyone who receives the Lord Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those of whom believe in his name. There it is to make that choice, to believe in Jesus, to surrender your life to him. But notice what it says, who were not born, not a, or who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, in two verses, there we have both of them laid, laid out clearly. As many as received him, our part, by the will of God, his part. God opens hearts to receive. We saw that in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Lydia, it tells us this woman Lydia is outside and listening to Paul preach, and it says, listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond. The Lord did that, but she responded. John 3, 18, we know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever, whosoever believes in him, 
John 3.18 says, he who does not believe has been judged already because, not because God didn't choose him ahead of time, not because, not because God predestined him for hell, has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So how do we wrestle with this? How do we, how do we put this together? Two seemingly opposing views. Well, I've heard it put this way. I, I kind of like the way it, it says. On our side, there's a door, the door of salvation. On our side, above it, it says, whoever will may come. Whoever will may come. And so we exercise in faith. We exercise and we go through and there is Jesus and we embrace him and we turn around and on the other side of the door from Jesus' side, it says chosen before the foundation of the world. I saw this illustration and it, it, it blessed me a little bit with this when we, when we speak of a triangle. We all know this going back to the beginning, a triangle. We look at it, it's a simple form. It's got three sides, three angles. And one of the first things we learned as children when the, the games that our kids, our parents got us is, remember that? You know, you probably got, you don't remember when you were a kid, but you learned it when you were a kid. You used it for your children and grandchildren. Had all of these things, it had all the shapes and they were the plastic and you can't, that, that plastic circle, no matter how hard you try, you can't jam it in that triangle hole. When we look at a triangle, we say, well, there's no way we can get a circle from a triangle. And that is looking at it from, again, this dimension. There's no way you could get a circle from a triangle unless you add another dimension. All of a sudden, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, you can have a, have a triangle and a circle when you realize that our view is so limited, our understanding is like a, like a two-year-old trying to jam a circle into a triangle hole. And by the way, as Christians, as born-again believers, as believers that this is the word of God, not the word of man, this, this struggle should give us more, more confidence that this is the word of God. Because if man wrote this alone, you think they'd have left that in there? No, we'd have made it really simple. Guys, God's ways are so much higher than ours. The dimensions that he, that he operates in are so far greater than ours. And we somehow think that if I can't, if I can't figure this out in my puny little brain, it can't be real. If I can't, if I, if I can't make it make sense Completely, it can't be real. You know, the ocean, we, my wife and I recently took a, took a trip. We were on a cruise, and it was just amazing to me, the, the vastness of the ocean. Being from Colorado and Arizona, I don't get to see the, that very often. But being out on, on a ship out in the middle of the ocean and not seeing land anywhere and to realize the, the world that is out there. But not just there. You go down <laughs> in the ocean, you get to depths in the ocean where there is a whole other world down there and there's fish down there that don't even have fully developed eyes because they don't need them, because they can't see anything. It's totally black, totally dark. And their whole existence is dark, wet. They know nothing else. They've never seen any, experienced anything else. Their whole life 
is eating, reproducing, and dying. That's it. It'd be like them saying, well, I, I can't possibly understand an iPhone, so it can't exist. The difference between us and that blind fish is measurable. Guys, the difference between us and Almighty God is immeasurable. So when we, when we embrace that truth and simply step back, step back and say, you know, this whole idea of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, I'm never going to be able to put that all together in a way that I can understand. Just by the way, the Bible has many of those. Jesus being fully God and fully man. The Trinity. All of those things. We can drive ourselves nuts trying to say, I got to be able to jam that into this little head. But guys, I'm so glad I worship a God that is that much bigger than me, that much, that much grander than me. And in that, I can, I can embrace this truth. Again, Scripture never uses foreknowledge, predestination, calling when speaking of condemnation. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us, Jesus said himself, hell was not created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't, it wasn't like, well, I gotta, I gotta create a place to send all these people I predestined to go to. He didn't, it was not created for man. The lost are not lost because they weren't elected by his choice. The lost are lost because they're sinners by their choice and they refuse to come to the free gift of salvation that is offered to them. I like the way one person said it. The elect are the whosoever wills and the non-elect are the whosoever wants. <laughs> Can a non-elect person accept Jesus? Can they come to Jesus? Absolutely. And then they'll be elect. Praise the Lord. I, guys, we don't have to fully comprehend or explain this. Just rest in what the word of God says. I get asked often, being a pastor, I get asked very often, so are you a Calvinist or an Arminist? I'm a Biblist. <laughs> what does the Bible say? And the Bible says, Jesus said himself, the one who comes to me, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Two verses later, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. That's what the Bible says. I embrace that. I embrace that truth. And guys, if, if we can move on from that, notice what comes next. Those whom he called, he also justified. Again, this unbroken chain that moves on forward. And justification goes beyond, again, our sins being forgiven. We looked at this through the course of two and a half chapters earlier in the book of Romans. And just as a little review, let's go back there. Chapter 3. It's been a couple of weeks since we were here. Good to have a little review. Paul lays out the, the case that, that, that there is no way that we on our own can become right before God. And he says this, beginning in verse 19, chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. 
Because by the works of the law, notice, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, and there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Again, there it is laid out. Clearly again, through faith in Jesus Christ, being justified as a gift by his grace. Both of them right there again. But embracing this truth, being justified, goes beyond again our sins being forgiven. It means that we stand before a holy and righteous God declared righteous. We stand before him, not in our own righteousness, but clothed in his. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And back in chapter 8, justified, notice again the final chain and the unbroken chain here, he also glorified. Again, speaking of born-again believers, also glorified. That word glorified means to render glorious, to have splendid greatness, to be given esteem, to be given, to be granted. And we see that in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If he went to that extent so that we would be justified, giving his own son in exchange for us as a substitution for us, a propitiation for our sins, how will he not also freely give us all things in him? Glorification. Glorified. Notice it's in the past tense. I've highlighted that a few times leading up to this. It is in the same tense as foreknowledge, as predestined, as chosen, as justified, glorified. Again, in his book, where he is outside of, of our, our little confinement, where he is glorified. The one who knows the end from the beginning. The one who foreknew us, predestined us, that that end will come. Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Once this marvelous sequence stops, guys, or starts, it can't be stopped. It will come to its inevitable conclusion our glorification. Now, I want to come back to verse 31 because I love this, how this, how this fits in here. So Paul, just speaking about how God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then he tells us in verse 29 why we can know. Notice the first word in verse 29. For, because, we can know that God is working all things together for good because he foreknew us, because he predestined us, because he chose us. We can know these things. And we go through this amazing thing and we've just spent the last 
40 minutes talking about these words. What does Paul do in verse 31? What do we say to these things? Let's have a six-part series and break down the meaning of each word. Let's go into great debate over, over, pre or over foreknowledge, over, over sovereignty, over free will. No, that's not what he says at all. Look what he says. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If that God who loved me that much, even in spite of myself, chose to pour out his love on me, to guard me, to watch over me, to give his only son for me, that God, if he's for me, <laughs> who could be against me? If you write in your Bible, even if you don't, make this personal. I have it in mind, God is for Brett. God is for you. You are a born again believer here today. God is for you. And don't miss what's comes like. What, what could be against me then? What could possibly come in? And the assumption, again, as we're moving through this, is nothing. Nothing is going to stop me from that destination. Guys, when it comes to predestination, we get so wrapped up in arguing over the pre, we miss the glory of the destination. That's where we're going. And nothing, nothing can stop that. The opposition is still there, absolutely. Our flesh that we still battle with, the weaknesses that we have, and again, by the way, the Spirit interceding for us in those. The world around us that's going to continually come against us. Is there going to be opposition? Does it say, if God is for us, there won't ever be any opposition? No. He's like saying, though, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? John says this in John, 1 John chapter 4. You are from God, little children, children of God. You are from him and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And it's not just a little greater infinitely greater. I do this, this game back and forth sometimes and we're trying to illustrate this point, you know, the opposite game, you know, you say word and, and you do the, the opposite of. And for those of you who've done this before, bear with it. But if those of you not, it's a great way to just hammer this home. The opposite game. You played it when you were a kid. I'll say a word, you say the opposite. White, good, Satan, wrong, wrong. The opposite of Satan is not God. The opposite, the opposite of Satan is Michael, the archangel, Gabriel. They're both created beings. One's an evil angel, one's a good angel. God is their creator. They're, he's on a whole different realm. And he's not just a step above. Guys, he is infinitely greater. And that God is who is in you. What do we say to all of this? <laughs> Praise the Lord Jesus. The, what, do we, what do we say to all of this stuff? Guys, <laughs> Paul didn't write this and say, man, I hope this causes about five frac fractions within the church. It's way too, it's way too unified right now. Oh, he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring comfort. 
to the church. He brought it, he wrote it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring assurance to the believers so that we can take comfort in the, in the word of God and the God of the word. I have this cartoon on, on my refrigerator in my office. It's a Peanuts cartoon. I love Peanuts. You know, they just, they don't make cartoons like that anymore. But Linus and Lucy are sitting and they're looking out the window and it's pouring rain outside. And Lucy says, Linus, do you think that this could end up flooding the whole world? And Linus says, well, of course not, Lucy, because the Bible says that God promised he will never, ever destroy the world again with a flood. And Lucy says in the next frame, you've... You've taken a great load off my mind. (laughs) And Linus in the last frame says, sound theology as a way of doing that. Sound theology, embracing God's word for what it says, has a way of taking a great load off our minds, bringing tremendous peace You're a born-again believer here today. Embrace that peace. Embrace that security. This unbroken chain is for you. Now, you might be here today and, and you're not saved. And you're thinking, well, that's not fair. It's not fair that that God God didn't choose me, that I'm that I'm not elect. Get saved! And then you'll be chosen. This, this whole idea of, you know, well, I'm just going to blame God someday. Good luck with that. If you're not saved today, get saved. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, follow him. My job is to give the outward call. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. He stepped out of heaven. He became one of us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he gave that life for you to pay the full penalty of your sin debt. And you simply need to respond in faith. You need to make make him Lord of your life. Respond. I don't know what takes place. I don't know how it works. It's a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit speak into your heart right now. But I know you have to receive it. That's the outward call. The inward call, that's between you and the Lord right now. But don't leave here. Don't harden your heart. Don't, don't put it up there. You know, again, more knowledge. Da, 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 da. Bottom line is get saved today. Get saved today. You can have this peace. You can have that assurance. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. If that is you today, again, and you're... <laughs> You're not born again. A prayer does not save you. As a matter of fact, it is right now a transaction between you and the Lord, a supernatural thing that takes place. You want that, you simply receive it. Go to before the Lord and simply say, God, I thank you for revealing yourself to me. Jesus, I ask you now, as I make you Lord of my life, would you come into my life? Would you give me that assurance, that that?" that peace, to know that my sins are forgiven, 
to know that I stand before you declared righteous. Not in my own, but in you. I don't understand all of this, but I understand you died for me. And I thank you. And Father, we pray that the seeds of the outward call, the seeds of the gospel would, would come to fulfill your will in the lives of those who hear it today because your word says that it's not your desire that any should perish, but all come to repentance, all come to that knowledge. So Father, would you have your way? Do what only you can do through the power of your spirit in those hearts today. And Lord, for the rest of us here this morning who who are your children. Again, we can't can't wrap our minds fully around this in, in the limitations that we have today, but we embrace the truth as your word proclaims it, that before the foundation of the world, you chose to place your love on us. And so then determined that we would be glorified with you one day. You sent your son to die for us and you you called us to yourself and you've justified us. Lord, we can do nothing but praise you forever for that fact. Lord, I pray today that as we spend this, this time in your word and spend time today and this week reflecting on this, Lord, that it would just, it would build up that assurance in us, that hope, that joy. And Lord, it would be, even give us more reason and, and determination, Lord, to make your name known to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. Lord, we know the time is short. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Lord, send workers into the harvest. Use us, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you for who you are and who we are in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.